0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Today we have a very special guest on The Practice, Ms. Coralie Lopez-Castro, who is a shareholder at Kozak, Tropen and Throckmorton where she concentrates on bankruptcy and commercial litigation matters like us. She has served as her firm's managing partner on two different occasions from 2011 and 12. And again, in 2018-19, she served as a panel trustee for the Southern District of Florida between 1998 and 2002. In 2006, she was elected as the second woman president of the Cuban American Bar Association, which is the largest voluntary our association in Florida, and she also frequently serves as a court-appointed receiver in state and federal court cases. She's also been a very good friend of ours for many years, and she's just a good person. And so we're very pleased to have you as a guest today on The Practice. Corey, welcome.
1: Thank you. i happy to be here.
0: Thank you. This is awesome. We're so happy to have you here. (laughs) Yeah, it took us a while to make this happen, but it it worked. It worked, so we're happy to have you. So why don't you tell, you know, we gave a little bit of your background. You've worn a lot of different hats at various points Mm -hmm. in time. Why don't you tell us your background, you know, where you're from. I know where you were born, but tell the listeners where you were born and how you got to become a partner at, at your firm.
1: So I was born in Puerto Rico. My parents are Cuban. A lot of Cubans ended up in Puerto Rico probably because of the language, and Puerto Rico for a long time was a wonderful place to live. I think it's become less so, unfortunately, but it's a beautiful, beautiful island. So I was in Miami since 1972, and I say this because I think it is true. I thought everyone was Cuban and Catholic until I went away to college. <laughs> I had been in parochial school from you know elementary school through high school, and then I made a real big U-turn to Brown University, which, if anybody knows anything about Brown University, is nothing like Miami, Florida. <laughs> and probably, I tell people, the Brown years were not the happiest years of my life because I was very homesick. Mm. I missed Miami, but they were the most important years of my life, and they made me who I am. And really, I have a lot of love for Brown University I'm a little bit of a dinosaur in that I've been at the same firm for 31 years, with the exception of two years that I moved to Cleveland with my husband when he was transferred. Funny story, when my husband was contemplating this move because he was in-house with a hotel company, I took my parents out to breakfast to let them know that we were going to be moving to Cleveland, and they thought we were asking permission. I was like, no, we are doing this because I don't think anybody (laughs) thought that— I would move. Did they my-
0: grant permission? Was the permission you're gonna, was <laughs> we the, weren't asking was the request being granted? It mean? was just yep.
1: probably the smartest right. thing I ever did. My husband is a lawyer, but I think he really found his flow in house as opposed to a private firm, and I think really that it's been a wonderful place for him to work.
0: Well, he's also been thirty plus years, right?
1: Yeah, he's been at the same company. It's a company that owns hotels as well, and he's been there for. I guess if I've been at Kozak for thirty-one years, he's been at CTF Hotels or different iterations of it for close to thirty years too. So, yeah.
0: wow. Well, we also have a lawyer here, Dana Quick, who was here, left to do a stint in Ohio, and then returned to the firm. So
1: I know. And parallel. didn't you just make her partner? Partner, that's right. I read that, and yeah. I was so happy yeah. because I've noticed that this firm has supported its women yeah. in the different choices. And when I ran into Haley Harrison at Peter Russin's Investiture, I asked her, how's everything going? Because she's the Bankruptcy Bar Association president. And she mentioned how wonderful you guys have been and how supportive you've been. So I think that says a lot about your firm that, you know, if we value what we each bring to the table, then both sides will be happy. But if it's one sided, it's rarely gets you to where you need to be. So I think you've shown a lot of flexibility with respect to the women at the firm.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of firms are trying to promote diversity, whether it's gender or race or other forms of diversity, but you have to do more than just give it lip service and actually not just be accepting of it, but promote it and become an advocate and embrace it. Right. And empower those people. And actually we, if I can just toot our horn for another minute, we, we, just had our annual business forum and the theme was empowerment. And we right. spoke to exactly that. And Dana spoke very eloquently about that very theme. You'll be able to catch that on a future episode of The Practice, if I can <laughs> wow, that's plug a, ourselves. That's like a triple plug. I love <laughs> exactly. that. I love that. that. Well,
1: this is a plug zone, so yeah. I we should right. do that. So We're going to change the name. We're here
2: to talk about you today, right. though. Let's so. plug Corey. <laughs> no. exactly. You mentioned it, Corey, and a couple things in there, which is you've been at your firm for a long time which is rare, like you said. Why do you think you lasted so long at your firm? What sort of contributed to that as a working mom, raising children, getting to the level you're at in your career? You know, what do you think kind of contributed to that?
1: I think the platform has worked for me. Whenever I talk to women about work-life balance, Mm -hmm. I tell them that, or at least advise them, that having your own clients makes a big difference. And I decided early on that I wanted to have my own clients so I could control my schedule a little better. And really, I need a little bit more control because, you know, I have three daughters. I wanted to raise them. Mm -hmm. I have a wonderful husband. I tell people this all the time. I work on my marriage more than anything else because I think kids love you no matter what, but your husband, not so much. (laughs) That's great advice right there. (laughs) There's a lot of... Dimensions to me, and I'm not a one dimensional person. Mm -hmm. I really, really love the law, and this is what I want to do. But there are other things that make me happy. So, the firm has given me a platform to be able to have my clients and do work that I want to do. I've been working with the people at my firm for a long time, so people that I care about, Mm -hmm. but it's really to give me the flexibility and also to give me the courage to live my life. So I'll give you an example. I left the office yesterday at, I think it was 3.30 to make it to Half St. Half day. Yeah. <laughs> to make it to St. Brendan's to watch my youngest play soccer. Yeah. And I saw my managing partner and I left it, but I didn't feel like I had to tell him where I was going, yeah. what I was doing. I just said, Hey, how are you? I said, I'll see you tomorrow. And I tell women, I don't leave the office hiding or giving explanations I know what I need to do, I know when I need to do it, and I don't need to give people explanations as to when I'm leaving or not leaving, and I really believe that. And for an associate that works for me, I would say just anticipate what we need to do, let's do it ahead of time so it doesn't become an emergency, Mm -hmm. but I'm not your mother, you know, I don't need to keep tabs on you, I just have to make sure that the work gets done.
2: I love that. And I think kudos to your firm for giving you that platform and that flexibility. And we've tried to do that here. But to me, it's what I take out of that as well is listen, the work dictates, right? So you don't have to be a slave to it, Mm -hmm. but just get it done. So if that means you have to leave the office or want to leave the office at two o'clock or three o'clock because you want to go and see your child play soccer, great, that's awesome. But then you may have to, given the time, get home at night, have dinner with your family but fire up the computer because you have to get something done you have a hearing the next day you know and that sort of you may not have to but you may have to right and that's like you said get the work done anticipate so that we can service our clients and service ourselves in our lives right
1: absolutely yeah. i mean i knew what i had on monday so i worked some on sunday right because i didn't want my day on monday to be a complete nightmare mm-hmm. so that when i was driving in on monday morning I'd already taken care of some things and I felt pretty relaxed about what I was going to be able to do. Yeah. I left the office a little later than I wanted <laughs> because traffic in Miami is, yeah. is challenging, to yeah. say the least. Yeah.
0: Unpredictable. But
1: it's planning. It's interesting. Sometimes lawyers need that pressure to get going. Yeah. Maybe when I was younger, I was like that. But we know, and I tell this to associates, the best associate is the one that says, next week we have a hearing. Tell me what you need. Mm -hmm. So we're prepared as opposed to the associate who says, well, they haven't asked me for anything. That means that there's nothing that I need to do. I think anticipating the partner's needs or the person who's arguing is the most important skill that you can bring to a case.
0: Agreed. And I would not limit it to the partner. I think it's anticipating the needs of the client or what's the judge going to want to know, or what's the other side anticipating is a key to our success as lawyers anticipating what's the question that's going to come up. What's the issue? The judge is going to be concerned with what does the client need? What does the partner need and planning allows for that flexibility. And I echo what Brett said, kudos to your firm for giving you that platform, but also kudos for you for paving the way because you recognize what you needed to do to take advantage of that platform. It's not enough for the firm to say, okay, we're going to give you flexibility. You have to do what you did. You worked on Sunday, you planned ahead, you developed your own book of business. So all those things, it's not enough to just provide the platform.
1: Well, I think I also did something that was the most important. And I didn't realize this until I was answering some questions for a fall newsletter. Mm -hmm. And... They said, you know, what's the most important thing to have a work-life balance? And one of the senior associates told me picking the right spouse. (laughs) And I said, wow, I've never heard that answer. Mm -hmm. And that is so important. And I say that because I think that when I call my husband, I said, I can't get home because I have X. He says, take care of it. We're fine. I had a trial for 10 weeks in West Palm Beach, where I left every Sunday crying, may I say, <laughs> and then right, right. returned on Friday. I was there on the weekend, but not really. And I had a two-year-old and a one-year-old at the same time. Oh, boy. My husband was... The first week, I was literally freaking out. I'm saying, this is not settling. You know how they always tell you cases will settle? In fact, whenever a partner says, let's take this case, we're going to settle it, you know, pre litigation, I said, if I had a dime for every <laughs> single person who's told me that, I would be very, very rich right now. Okay. <laughs> they don't settle. Okay. But it didn't settle. Most of them
0: do. Come on. Yeah, they, but they I do. Know what you mean. They
1: do. <laughs> but we were going the distance. And I remember calling my husband and said, oh, my God, Brad, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I miss my girls. I missed him. And it's a jury trial. So the three of us here were non-jury experts, right? <laughs> we don't have jury trials in bankruptcy, right? right? So I was doing a, my second trial, my second jury trial in my career, and it was 10 weeks long. Which, by the way, I will say this. I learned more in that trial. And I'm there's sure still lessons that I bring to my cases. Oh, for sure. Okay? Yeah. Issues that came up, everything. I would call Brad and said, I'm very stressed. He goes, well, that's too bad. Suck it up. Quitting is not an option. So he never joined my pity party, which was mm. helpful. He said, yeah, yeah. you have no choice. This is what you're doing for the next 10 weeks. And once I realized I'm here for 10 weeks, it was liberating. It's like, this is what I have to do. Yeah. You know, and I don't have a choice, okay? Because I had come in to take over for someone on a trial team. And still one of the most valuable experiences that I've had in my career. But going back to, you know, how we started this, I think picking the right spouse is probably the most important decision you can make as it relates to your career.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said. The only pushback I would give, at least for myself and Brett. Is the idea that we were involved in the picking part of that? Because I think if anything, it's thank you to our spouses for picking us. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think we were the pickies, not the pickers. They they took us in. They really did. I, and people around here
2: will shake their head when they hear me say this, but I say it all the time, which is work-life balance to me is hard. It's not really achievable because there's no balance, right? It's a harmony. So you were in trial for 10 weeks, which kept you away from your family for that period of time. So there really was no balance during that period of time but because you had to give all of your attention to your work. But then I imagine after those 10 weeks, you spent a lot of time with your family because you could when you could. And so there was a harmony, a sort of a flow that allows the family life and the work life to kind of flow with each other as best as possible. Because there's going to be times, like in a 10-week trial, when you're just... But that's rare. Right. That's a very rare
1: thing. And you will. You're right. You still have moments I tell people sometimes when I'm both a good mom and mm-hmm. a good lawyer, I'm like, yes, i got this. <laughs>
2: right. Right. Rare. Most
1: of the time. that's rare. One day I'll be like, oh my God, I was a really good lawyer today. Not so great yeah. mom. Or I'm like, oh, I was such a great mom today. Not such a great, you know, lawyer. You have that push and pull right. uh-huh. and you're right. Yeah, it's it was funny, but even after that trial, I kind of missed the trial. Those trials are fun. Yeah, when you're yeah. in trial, yeah. you have one thing to focus one thing I'll always remember about that trial, I was on the panel of trustees mm-hmm. and I asked Bob Angara, who was the U.S. trustee, you know, in mm-hmm. charge here, you know, to take me off the rotation, panel, right. the rotation until I could finish. And he was always super gracious with me, like mm-hmm. so nice. And, you know, he gave me a great opportunity, but he was like, don't worry about it. That's fine. And I always I'm very appreciative. But I had one thing that I could focus and it tells you about the multitasking that they say you can't do. Oh, not in trial. Yeah. No. There's no multitasking. In, in, in <laughs> no, anything. No. They say you can't multitask. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah, only yeah. concentrate on one thing. Right. And boy, you're really good when you can concentrate on one thing. Right. But most of the time, I think we have to multitask.
2: Right. We try. And like you said, it's really not achievable, mm-hmm. even though people think you can. Right. Um, you but, can't
0: give 100% to multitasking. Right.
2: Right. At the same right. Time. And trial, the thing about trial is there's so many things going on even though the focus is on the trial, there's so many things going. You have a witness on the stand. You may have a witness waiting. You may have transcripts or exhibits that you're trying to pull together and anticipating what's going to happen. So that's a lot to do. And to focus elsewhere besides the trial
0: is just impossible.
1: It's impossible. But
0: But your point about your spouse, it's really who's your teammate, who's on your team, whether it's at home or in the office. Same thing in the office, because I'm sure somebody was balancing your other cases and other clients in the office while you're away in trial for 10 weeks. So it's really, who do you surround yourself with? It really, you know, it takes a village. That's not limited to raising a child. It's also, you know, being an adult too. You require a team.
1: We all need help. And once we recognize that and we're humble enough to recognize that, then things start to get easier. I mean, I would say, I think it was like a year and a half ago or two years ago, I hired someone on my team because I just felt like I needed more help I don't know about you guys, but when you hire someone, you're like, okay, do I have enough work? Am I going to be able to keep mm-hmm. them busy? Because mm-hmm. I think you're responsible for that. You It sure. has to be good work. It has to be enough work. And I hired this woman, Bernice Lee, mm-hmm. who sure, I, Bernice. I, I only met her because she was on the other side of a very difficult case. And David Rosendorf handled that case. And I said, I like the way this woman handles herself. She is, seems very much in control. Mm-hmm. And very detail-oriented. I tend to be more big picture than detail-oriented and always thinking about how we present something. How do we approach something? And I have to tell you, she's done more for my mental health than I can remember in a long, long time. She's been terrific and someone that I really enjoy having on my team.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're speaking to another sort of aspect of teamwork. And Brett and I had a whole podcast on this about partnerships and what makes a partnership work. And one of the things we talked about is complementary strengths and styles. Like you found someone who has complementary strengths, and we're very much the same way. You know, one of us is good at one thing, another one's good at the other. And together, you know, we're much better. The whole is worth more than the sum of its parts.
1: Rosendorf and I always say we're complete opposites. He's a night owl, I'm an early morning person. He loves to do things that I don't. I do things that he doesn't like. I said, together, we're the perfect lawyer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And you need that. And you need to have the ability to recognize the strengths and weaknesses, right? And not have that ego kind of get in the way. Like, no, 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 I can do everything. Don't worry about it. I got it. No, you recognize it. No, No, that's not my strength. That's your strength. You handle it. Even if it's somebody who is technically, quote unquote, an associate or beneath you or lower on the totem pole, junior to you you know, and I use the quotes on that, but you have to recognize their strengths and they're going to compliment you and lift the whole team up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I actually think that David, who I know you both know very well, has taught me something that has been very important. We laugh that David will live longer than anybody else. (laughs) He doesn't worry about anything. He's a person who can draft a 20 page brief in three hours. The man is actually something else, but (laughs) He takes nothing personally. I take everything personally. So I've actually become much more like him. And my secretary and I were laughing this morning that I feel like Lucy and Peanuts that everybody wants to come by my office and get a little Therapy. session with the, with <laughs> the therapist. Five cents. A, <laughs> five cents. Five cents. <laughs> but he's really taught me that most things are not personal. People are not obsessed with us like we think they are. Right. And it's not personal. And I think that's a really an important lesson to learn.
2: So it's funny you say that because I always view you from the outside as somebody who is very calm, who's very above the chaos, who, whenever you're in a meeting, whether you're on the same side, opposite side, or you're sitting as a receiver, I always think, well, Corey's gonna come in and she's gonna be very level-headed and she's just gonna talk about the case and talk about the facts. If we can resolve it, great. If we can't, you know, okay. But I would never view you as someone who would say, I'm taking things personally, you know. I just would never how do you do that? How do you sort of push that aside and sort of keep that control and sort of keep that chaos away?
1: Well, number one, practice. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's interesting you say that because I've been listening to a couple of podcasts. The practice?
2: Other podcasts. Is another She said many, other many. Wait, there's podcasts. Yes, yes.
1: And I actually always am a little, I would say judgmental about people's voices, because voices are, especially when you're listening to podcasts, they really make a difference. Mm -hmm. And when I listen to a woman who's giving an analysis, but her voice changes, I think it takes away and it's distracting. So I really, especially when I've had all these phone calls and very little in person, I really think about how I want my voice to sound because I think it can have a calming influence. I have a very big workout right now that I'm trying to keep out of bankruptcy. And my client relies on me to be calm Mm -hmm. because he has a lot of turmoil and there's a lot of turmoil and there's a lot of moving pieces. So I have to be calm. And the other day they came to my office to meet and I had had one heck of a day, right? And I walk in and I'm the worst poker player. You know exactly what's on my face. And they go, what's wrong? I said, I've had such a day. And both the chief restructuring officer and my client said, no, no, no. We need you calm. That's what we rely on you. And it really was very kind of, I would say, disruptive to the meeting because they perceived me as not being calm and cool and collected because... I always tell them, let's not react. Let's just listen. So when they saw me a little bit agitated, they were
0: panicked. They, they were, were panicked. Right, right. They were
2: like, oh. right, right. <laughs>
1: they did not like you it. you panicked,
2: we need oh, wait, we're trouble. Wait, wait. So, we're so, right. so I realized
1: right? that I give off a lot of energy. Yeah. So if my energy is not necessarily negative, mm-hmm. but too much, then the meeting is affected. So I really do practice that because I think that it's important to keep things calm, especially I mean, the three of us have done this for so long. There's always chaos. There's always problems. There's always issues.
0: Those are our sweet spots right there. Right, (laughs) Right.
1: Exactly. So if we don't keep it together, there's a lot of people that are going to try to pick us off, you know, and we really need to kind of keep it together. So I would say practice. And I know that I give off energy and I need Mm -hmm. that energy to be helpful.
2: Well, the clients look to us for that, like your client in that situation, Right. right? I mean they're the ones involved in the situation. And so they come to us to try to be as emotionless as we can just to deal with the issue and help them. But we were talking about it before. That sort of bleeds off sometimes into real, I say real life, outside of the practice, right? In our home life, in our personal lives, you know, and everyone always thinks lawyers are just so serious all the time. And what we do is somewhat serious, right? Right. How do you let off any energy and steam? (laughs) Because what we do is serious and we can't show the emotion all the time, you know? So how do you sort of let go and let some of that emotion go?
1: Well, first of all, I love exercise. To me, that's the most important thing. I have to start my day that way. and Mm -hmm. It sounds, you know... Not that sophisticated, or but to me, everybody needs to exercise because it's it's the best drug in the world. Yeah. It's amazing.
0: You're going to have unanimous agreement in this <laughs> <Yes>. room, all <laughs> for sure. All of us, including our producer. That's right.
1: I don't know if you're aware of the articles that talk about how men don't have as many friends as they should, and that really leads to happiness. And I'll get back to your yeah, answer. Yeah. So, And women, I think, are much better about having friends. And the reason why it's so important is because for men, if you don't have friends outside the home, then your wife becomes the problem solver, the psychiatrist, the accountant, the mother of your children has too many roles, and that's too much pressure, I think, for the wife. So they say that men need to go out and be able to say, Oh my God, this is really driving me crazy. And to be able to left off steam, mm-hmm. that's a very healthy thing and it leads to happiness. Right. So me- you're saying
0: for women, men need to have friends, right? So we're not. No,
1: but, it, but <laughs> for the- men
0: too. Right. No, for men, yeah. yeah. for <laughs> men to <laughs> be happy. For sake,
1: no, right? for men to be happy. Right. They, no, I agree. They need, they need that. I think women, we're very good about maintaining friendships. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, I always have a fun lunch planned with friends Mm -hmm. during the week. I have maybe one activity during the week with friends, you know, and really that to me is the best way. Don't talk about work that much because I'm a really bad sleeper. So if I'm Hmm. talking about something or a problem, it's kind of stays in my head. So, you know, when you were talking about whether I go work at home I'd rather stay in my office, get it done. I really need a separation between work and home because it stays in my head. But my final thought is (laughs) this summer I spent some time in Colorado. We have an apartment in Colorado and I had a very difficult case. And my husband would only hear, you know, my side of the conversation, but he knew a little bit about the case. And he said, Corey, you're doing the best you can. You didn't make the facts, right? You know, you're doing the best you can. You have very little leverage, And you're doing a really good job, but don't take it so personally, you know, because I really, really like my client, but, you know, I didn't have a lot to work with, but he would listen to this and he would hear it in my voice. So I think being able to run things by him, Mm -hmm. you know, because he is a lawyer or sometimes, and I'm sure this happens to you, maybe you handled something a certain way and it just didn't work. Yeah. Right. Right. Just Doesn't not. happen to Jeff. It happens <laughs> to me all the time, but not, not to
2: Jeff. But
1: yeah. it didn't work, right? Right. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and you start it and you, you replay it over and, and over. over.
1: Maybe the oh. way you argued in court. Yeah. Maybe the, the position, way they yeah, you, decision. You know. Yeah. And that's really, really frustrating. Eventually, we get over it. And yeah, but how many I nights?
0: How many sure. nights do you lay there in bed? Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. I'm right. not sure you ever get over it, and I think that that is what makes you. So successful at what you do is that you learn from your own mistakes. That is the process by which we learn. You make a mistake, or it may not even be a mistake. It's like you said, it's you did something a certain way. It's not that you did it wrong, but anytime you don't prevail on whatever it is, for me, anytime I don't prevail, I think constantly, oh, I could have done this. I yeah. could have done that. I should have done this. I should have said that. I think that's how we learned. You know, if you, didn't, if you don't do that, that's when you should be concerned If you're like, well, oh, you lost. And you're like, oh, well, you know.
1: But you know what? I think you're exactly right because I don't think we're experts because we're so smart. We're experts because we have this inventory of cases that we can look to and we can say this worked here for this reason. This did not work. So I don't want to make that mistake again. And that inventory of cases makes us the experts that we are because we can look to it. And I just think when... Once again, having the humility to understand you're not that smart. You're not that special. Like I have a friend of mine who would say, Corey, you and your firm and my firm were the only firms that know how to handle these cases. I said, really? I think you are way wrong about that. There's a million people that can do what we can do or what we are doing. Let's not think we're that special because I just don't think we are that special.
2: Well, I think... I tend to agree with you. Not that you're not special. I agree with (laughs) you because I think you are and I think your firm is. And it's the experience, right? And I think that I always thought for years, I'm like, I don't understand why in the legal profession and accounting, I guess to any professional services, it takes a long time for young people to get to a point where, like you said, it's like you have this inventory of experience to pull from. And that's why you have to spend a long time in the practice in order to really hone your skills
1: well it's finding your voice too yeah because you tend to imitate or maybe yeah I have to sound a certain way I have to act a certain way I have to dress a certain way so once you find who you are that you feel comfortable with Mm -hmm. I think it gets a lot easier and I think confidence you know especially for our clients if they see us confident like hey Mm. I could be dying inside like a hearing (laughs) is going one of my favorite stories is I had a hearing where I was the only woman representing a party. It was a very contentious auction. Two lots were auctioned and I represented the winning bidder, I thought, right? In the auction and then, you know, you have the auction and then you come back in the afternoon for the sale hearing. Right. No one was talking to me between, you know, the trustee wasn't talking to me. Mm-hmm. No one was talking to me. I said, "Okay, this is not, not good." good. Not a great <laughs> sign, I said, I, yeah. "This is not good." But before the auction, I thought I had done a very good job of wanted to know what the rules were with respect to this particular issue because there was a little twist. I said, I just want to understand, you know, you will announce what the overbid needs to be. I don't have to do the calculation in my head. Let's just say they wanted to change the rules. And, you know, I had the right judge, I think. And I had made the clarifications. My clients, were all men, were very concerned, Right. And I heard one representative talk to the, what I would say the main client say, the guy on the phone had said, how'd she do? And this client said she did very well, but I could just see that there was a certain amount of worry, you know? And I said, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Everybody just calm down. Right. (laughs) So we were fine. And the judge agreed, you know, it has to be apples to apples. They bid more money, they win. And, you guys know going against the trustee, mm-hmm. going against everyone. It was a big deal. And we went out for drinks after and my team was, "Yay, I knew we're the only women and they were like toasting. Us. And I said, yeah, I'm sure you guys were feeling great about that when we were in court. <laughs> you know, now everybody wants to toast, you know, diversity. Yes. We had the woman on the team, you know, and so forth. But that was a lesson. I looked around and I said, wow, I'm still the only woman in the courtroom. That just doesn't seem like
2: yeah. it
1: makes sense. Although I think we can all agree diversity is having a moment.
2: Yeah, so why don't we talk about that? That's a sure. great segue because I know you recently did an interview, an article with Melanie Damien. You guys seem to be, as you indicated, sometimes the only women in the courtroom or running cases, or even as you and both Melanie are receivers or appointed as receivers. So how can the practice, how can the legal profession do more to promote diversity and promotion of women to these positions, either as lead counsel or as receivers.
1: So I think you need the experience. Mm -hmm. In fact, someone who had seen that article said, I really want to do more of this work. And I said, okay, you need experience because on my most recent case, I had to do a lot of legwork before I got there. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you a little twist. I was in Colorado and my family had come and surprise me for my birthday. But the appointment was being made two days before my birthday. So, you know, I didn't know if I was going to get appointed or not. So I headed to the airport. And then when the order got entered, I boarded the plane. So I left my family. Oh,
0: no. Right?
1: (laughs) But this was an honor. Right. You know, it was an equity receivership. They had a lot of faith in me. Mm -hmm. We had done a lot of legwork before we got there. So my girls were great. They were like, go get Mom, you're the boss, you know, go. And they made me feel pretty good about it. But that was hard. But the timing is not always perfect. Sure. And you just have to recognize that. But I advised this young woman, I said, if you want, I would start with state court receiverships. Because I think they're more manageable than an equity receivership in with the SEC. And that has, you need experience. It requires a lot of legwork. And You are there working for the victims and the SEC when they propose names. They want to make sure that three people who can handle the case. Having said that, the federal judge has the right to appoint whomever he or she wants. Right. Okay. So I advise this woman, if you really want to do it, try to see if you can, for example, speak to lenders or lawyers who represent lenders that you'd want to do this receivership. And if it does work out, I'd be happy to mentor you in that receivership. Mm-hmm. So, Because we've been working with the state court system to try to diversify the receivership appointments.
0: Right. And just to back up, maybe a lot of our listeners aren't that familiar with mm-hmm. receivers, but these are court-appointed fiduciaries usually charged with securing and preserving an asset or a business that may be involved in some dispute.
1: Yes. They come in all shapes and sizes. Right. And some of them are very challenging, Mm -hmm. and some of them are easier. No, you don't
0: always know on the coming in, right? That's for sure. And by
1: the way, many (laughs) times, you know, getting paid is a challenge. Sure. So you're working. You're an arm of the court. For example, this past year and a half, I have to give kudos to Judge Michael Hansman. I think, from what I can see, and also he's been in the civil division, right? Right. And so he's had more of an opportunity. I don't think. Number one, there's that many opportunities to appoint a receiver. Well,
0: somebody has to ask for it.
1: Right. (laughs) And there's always, I always tell my clients who want a receiver, I want a receiver, I want Mm. a receiver. I said, well, you may get what you wish for.
0: And that receiver is
1: independent and will have to decide what he or she thinks is the right course, may ask for your input, but does not necessarily do what you want and you're paying for it. So I think some clients think they want a receiver, but they don't. Think through what that actually entails. They want their
0: own receiver. They want their own receiver. <laughs> That's, and you what don't,
1: want. That's what they and you don't control the receiver. Right. Well, and they don't yeah. think
2: about the cost right. as well, right? right? I mean, exactly. Yeah.
1: So, but I've you know I've done from you know being custodian over some testing kits for COVID. I'm now involved as a trustee under a trust. I've done receivers, the classic receivers, to maintain property and make sure that until the case is resolved one way or another that the property is maintained. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, and I've said this when a judge calls me and says, I want to appoint you as a receiver. Can you run the conflict? I said, sure, but maybe what you want is an accountant in this case, as opposed to hiring me or appointing me. And then I hire an accountant. So you have two costs, or perhaps you want a property manager. And I tell people, and I, I have too much respect for the judiciary If I'm doing a good job as a receiver, the judge will never hear from me, Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, I will not be in the papers because I'm doing such a good job that the case is going well, okay? I want the judge to feel like this is a good appointment. So if I'm going to be way too expensive for the receivership because it doesn't require what I bring, then I'm going to tell the judge, maybe this is the way you want to go. But the problem is that since you have the rotations in state court, at least here in the eleventh judicial circuit, you many times you have perhaps a judge that was a former public defender or former right. state attorney goes straight to the criminal division. So really they haven't seen they haven't yeah, seen this. They haven't it. seen this, yeah. Yeah. And then maybe if I think sometimes when the parties bring someone they agree to, mm-hmm. it makes it much easier for the judge. Sometimes the judge feels like they have to make their own appointment. And they can't choose someone that's been brought to them. But I think that judges, because there have been some stories about receivers not doing a good job. Sure. They don't want that. They don't want to be in the paper. So they're really trying to do the right thing.
2: Well, and I think fees and costs are a huge issue as well. And what you do is I would say, I hope it's not, but I think it's the exception. A lot of potential receiver candidates would get a phone call and say, Sure, I'll take it. And then Sort of hire an accountant, and then the costs and the fees start to get sideways instead of really taking a look at on the front end. I think that's what judges get frustrated by when you walk in and everyone's filing their fee applications trying to get paid and creditors end up not getting anything and nothing happens, right? So I think that's why you've been so successful is one reason. But I think in order to do that, you got to find your voice, right? I mean, you can't be a relatively new lawyer or a lawyer who has some experience starting to get into the game and have the confidence to say, I'm not going to take that receivership. Right.
1: Well, I think first of all, for a young lawyer, you must have worked on a receivership. Right, yeah. yeah. You
2: need to have oh, some yeah. experience. Absolutely. I, I don't mean that. I mean like if you're you getting that, those appointments, right? right? you know, if you're getting the call, you have to have that confidence to say, I'm not going to take that one. Right. Well, you're so, not turning them down if
0: you're not getting them. That's for sure. This yeah. is a
1: good way to... Maybe try to be funny, but I used to have a joke because Jeff Bast and I had a case where I represented. I'm part of
0: your joke. That's great.
1: Yeah. So he represented a bank and I represented this elderly gentleman. And my daughters would say, are you going to court for El Viejito for the older gentleman? I said, yes. (laughs) And so when Jeff would call there's Jeff Bass and Jeff yes. Bass. And they said, is it the good one or the bad one? I said, because I <laughs> was the it bad one. It, it, wow. But Jeff Bass, the other one, told me one time I had a case, and the judge called our office and really said, report for trial on Monday, which was somewhat ridiculous. And Jeff told me that he had rejected that case that we were handling. And he told me something that I always remember, you will be judged by the cases you don't take much Hmm. more than the cases you take. And I really try to tell the people at my firm, partners included, I'd rather you be working on business development than handling a case where we're not going to get paid, or it's such a big problem that you are going to be so stressed out and not compensated well. Okay. And really, I truly believe that I'm much more careful about what I take Mm -hmm. and really tell people you have to think about it you know there's only so much time right so if you're handling that case and can you imagine handling a case that's stressful and not getting paid right so if i'm handling a receivership that i have to do the work it's not like i have the option of saying you know what i'm not getting paid so i'm not doing this right you have to do it it's stressful Mm -hmm. you're not getting paid And I could be spending time with my daughter, the one that's still living at home. I mean, to me, it's an easy choice. And I want the judge to look good. So I'm not a property manager. Can I do it? Yes. Am I smart enough? Yes. That's not the best use of my time. And no one's going to be happy with Corey doing property management, even if it's at a reduced rate.
0: Right. Yeah. So could you get it done? Yes. But there's somebody else out there who could do it better, more cost-effectively. Yes. And if you recognize that, you're better off saying no. You do more benefit by saying no than by saying yes. I think that is a difficult lesson to learn. And I think you'd hear that same sentiment among the deal folks out there. The best deals are the ones you don't do, Mm -hmm. the ones you turn down. But I just want to circle back to one thing that we're starting to run out of time that you said before. Because we talked earlier about the days when you're a good mom versus a good Mm -hmm. lawyer this instance where you were away in Colorado and you had to leave your family to go take this case. And I think that might be one that you would, on the surface, think, oh, that was a day when I was a good lawyer, but not a good mom. But I I would say that's an example where you were both because the lesson that your kids learned from watching you do the work, take the call and make the sacrifice and go take this great job is invaluable. And so sometimes we teach our kids... The best ways we teach them is by showing them.
1: Oh, I behavior. don't think they obey us. They model us. I agree with you by the way, Jeff, on that instance because they were proud yeah, that yeah. I they was that, that, a lesson. that I was getting. Yeah. And this is something I've been working on really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And I guess earlier that week I had kind of put together my team and I said, Look, I think we're gonna get this. This is what we need to do before we walk in the door. And when they all responded we're ready. Let's go. My stress level went down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think they were proud, but it's never perfect. You know, it's never perfect. They all came to Miami after and I got to spend a week with them. But it's funny. I had this delusion, not illusion, delusion that I was going to go back to Colorado to at least spend one day with them. And I texted my husband because there was too much going on. I said, Look, I'm there's, no no way. Not, there's no way. <laughs> and he goes, got it. No worries. You know, and actually that was the smartest thing that I could have done. And that night, the first night when we took down the premises, my team, we went and we went back to the office to plan the next day. And then we had a drink together and we said, wow, that was fun. We've had like mm-hmm. such a great day. Right. It was great. We did so many things, including meeting with a lot of the victims <laughs> because they came to the premises and we were happy that we could talk to them and explain to them. They still thought it was a Ponzi scheme, right? So they thought they were going to get their check. Mm. And we said, Look, you're not getting any checks. This is over. This is going to be shut down.
0: Yeah. Well, I always say that most often in our careers, the hardest work is the best work. You know, times when you're a trial or times, you know, seizing a premises, you never work harder, but it's never more rewarding. And especially when you can. Touch the victims and actually speak to the victims. It's a rare opportunity at the beginning of a case to communicate with the victims. Usually right. it's months later and they're frustrated and upset and then nobody's talked to them for so long. And so good for, you.
1: Good yeah, I've for ta- you. I talk to about 10 a day. Yeah. Because I know that just even if it's bad <clears throat> news, they want to be heard. They want to be heard yeah. and they want to know the truth. So yeah. if they call me, they will either get a return call from me if I feel like I can't do it that day I'll have someone return it but I talk to about 10 a day just because I know they want to be heard and they're so frustrated and many have lost their life savings so Hmm.
0: it's unfortunate well they should be fortunate to have you at the helm of that Uh ship even though you didn't drive it into the iceberg (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Corey, this has been a lot of fun. I know we've run out of time. I know you have some schedule constraints, but we'd love to have you back because we've touched on so many topics today that are worthy of a whole episode. Uh, the sleep issues, the exercise, <laughs> the empowerment on so many
2: levels. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. This was awesome.
0: I This was it. great. Super fun. If you have any questions for Corey or for us, feel free to reach out. And if you want to hear some additional topics on the podcast, let us know. If you like this episode, please give us five stars. Follow us and share it with your friends. And we'll see you next time. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.